Hello there, before you venture into this week's episode, just a reminder that this episode discusses emotional and mental health issues, especially suicide attempts from uh, a personal experience, and this may be difficult for some listeners. So, trigger warning. Hi there, welcome to the More Simple Podcast. This is a podcast for Blacks, Asians, and those who love them. I am Mo. And I am your host, ready to spark your curiosity as I take you on this adventurous ride of exploring cultures through the stories of my guests from all over the world. On this show, we get really personal, discussing salient issues that are relevant to our contemporary age and also building community around them as our guests exercise courage and vulnerability in sharing their life's experiences, we hope that in turn you are inspired by them and that you get the courage needed to set your own stories free. Enjoy the ride and thank you so much for listening. Uh, so welcome everyone. <laughs> welcome everyone to um, the More Civil Podcast. Um, this is me, Aimee Day, and... No! And we have with us um, Jessica Puri. Um, uh, this, she's our guest for today. Hi, Jessica. Hi, Aimee Day. Hi, Mo. Hi, Jessica. Um, so, Jessica was... Um, she's, she's with us to talk about a very um, important subject, which we'll get into in a bit. Uh, but a little bit about Jessica. She was born in nigeria so yes people we have a fellow nigerian in the house um, <laughs> like both of us are not enough for the whole nigeria <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're really everywhere nigeria we're everywhere. Proud lot, huh? <laughs> very proud so she she was born across the country from us though yeah which is um, we'll interesting we'll so um talani and i both grew up in the south part of the country jessica grew up in the north um, yeah, and um, basically, if you guys couldn't speak English, you wouldn't be able to communicate. Exactly. No. Thanks to those colonial masters. Amen. And you're working for them, <laughs> Miami Day, so you shouldn't be talking. <laughs> You've gone back to the plantation, Miami Day. But good thing you're taking their money away from them. This is the kind of news we want to keep hearing. Mm. <laughs> it's the least you can do. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, everybody, everybody has to play their parts. So, yeah, Jessica, Jessica is currently based in the US with Tolani, not with Tolani per se. In a different part of the states, um, she's currently in. Um, actually, do you know? I'm not sure. Is that Chicago? Yes, yeah, Chicago, yeah, yes. I, right. I yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, she's currently in Chicago. She um, has a bachelor's degree in biological sciences from Loyola and a master's in public health from DePaul. Um, and then she's currently devils. doing a. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, you know that's their master's. The devils. The Nigerian in me is like, I thought you start doing the the rock star sign for you to Austin, and you think you're part of a demonic cult. Exactly. (laughs) We digress, sorry. Okay, it's fine. Sorry, go on. This is a fun introduction. Um, This is the longest introduction we've had on this show, and I'm so for it. Because people keep getting my way. Especially you, Tolani. Sorry, I, I keep my mouth shut now. All right, she's currently a doctoral candidate. Famous last words. She's probably a doctoral candidate in the social sciences and health track at Feinberg School of Medicine, Northwestern University, and she teaches a course in, on field studies in public health, also at Northwestern University. She has done research in HIV, female genital cotton, physician cultural competence, and health uh, equity in Chicago. Um, and she's interested in health equity promotion. Health behavior theory, um, which is, I must say, dear to my heart, that last one. Really? And double health. Shrink. Um, <laughs> yep, I claim it. Uh, so, yeah, welcome, welcome. Thank you for joining us, Jessica. Thanks for making the time to be here with us and um, uh, for looking as excited as you seem to be. <laughs> I always am. This is a very heavy topic. We need so to laugh. The, yeah. the lighter you yeah. can start, yeah. the better. Um, Plus, I am very passionate about it anyway. So, according to my husband, I just talk with my hands. I'm looking, looking crazy. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Like I said, we're going to be talking about um, a heavy topic, and the, that's the heavy topic Jessica was just talking about, um, and that is female genital cut, genital cutting. Um, mm-hmm. b- but before we get into it, just to 
sort of get a sense for where you're coming from, Jessica. Um, mm-hmm. What is what's just tell us what a typical day is like for you at work? At work, ah, uh, good question. There, there. Is, I'm thankful that there isn't a typical day. So I I teach twice a week, Mondays and Tuesdays for now. Anyway, uh, evening classes, and then when I'm not teaching, the rest of my time is spent doing research on FGM or presenting on it or working on my dissertation or grading papers or preparing my lectures. So the nice flexible thing about this time of life is I get to kind of decide what's going to take more of my time and mental capacity that day. So if I have class in the evening, more of my mental capacity is going to preparing for that class, Mm. looking at discussion posts and (laughs) and preparing um, very current stuff for my students. And then when I'm not teaching that evening, everything else is going into FGM work. All right. So, yeah. So basically, well, it sounds like a your your. It sounds like a pretty um, regular sort of you know university lecture yeah. kind of day, academic day. Yeah. What 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 are the kinds of things that would stand out as unusual for you that pop up from time I, to time? Um, you mean in my in my schedule? In that tip, yeah. Mm, that's a good question. Um. What would be unusual? Maybe something with my health or something, you know, with my, with some friends needing to like more personal life stuff. So if I'm, if a friend needs my help with something Mm. or, um, I don't know what, what is unusual. I can't really think of anything unusual. Okay. Um, so basically if I'm not doing FGM stuff or school stuff, I'm doing stuff with my family or my friends. Um, so Thankfully, nothing dramatic has had to happen where I've you know, had to drop everything and you know be gone for a while. Uh, but outside of the usual, so school and work, um, it's just family and friends. Obviously, you're doing a lot. Not, <laughs> that sounds like a criticism. <laughs> In a good way. Yeah, I get it. Like, you're, you're, you're someone who clearly has, has achieved a lot. You're a doctoral candidate, you're a lecturer, you've done a lot of research, um, You've done all of that, you know, from having moved to the U.S. at a young age, mm-hmm. um, navigating a new culture, a new country. Yeah. Um, we're, we're going to we're, well. What What would you do if 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 if? I suppose what I'm trying to ask is, given all of that, all this stuff that you've done, which we'll come back to in a bit, but like, how? One of the things you mentioned. In, in in when you were talking to us and we're sort of trying to get to know a bit about you was that you say you're interested in, like faith is a big part of your life. Yes. How how does that play out in middle of all of this? Oh, that's a good question. So um so you have a lot of good questions. I say that I will be saying that often. I'm trying to control that. But um so my faith is kind of the reason I do pretty much everything I do. Um so for instance so with my career the, the way I even got into that was from a scripture in Matthew twenty five thirty five. Um, so just for anyone listening, when I say faith, I mean Christianity. So I am Christian. Um, unfortunately, that can mean many different things in, in the worst way. But I am a Bible-believing Christian, and um, so much of my life, it kind of comes out of that, of obeying what I see in scripture. So it was this verse in Matthew twenty five thirty five that says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And for me, all of that was everything from refugee care to food insecurity to water insecurity to mass incarceration to poverty. Like all of that was encompassed, all encompassed in that, in that verse. And like, this is public health. This is literally everything that public health is. And how I got that set on that path. Yes, yes. I am like, you know, if, if Jesus, Jesus way, came yeah. uh, in, in like 2022, he probably would have practiced public health a little bit. That's just, just like my little theory, but... That is a great way to think about yeah. it. I've never... I've, I've actually literally never thought about it that way. And 
I don't think I don't think I'm ever gonna see that. Yeah, I had I had a guest on the show a while back. This was Chinwe. She's a Christian who's very interested in social justice. Now she talks more about mm-hmm. social justice, not public health, because that's her field. Because she's a social scientist, mm-hmm. and she said exactly what she said. Like you can't be Christian and not care about you know racial issues and injustices and yeah. and all of that. So yeah, because Jesus did. Yeah. He cared about all yeah. of that. He came straight to the um he came straight to the marginalized and he came um straight to the people that nobody wanted to talk to in fact the people that that the quote-unquote people of god were rejecting were the ones that he came yeah. for directly and so I, I uh kind of i guess since moving here i have tried to redefine what by faith means for me outside of just going to church because my parents wanted me to go to go or you know uh, being quiet also growing up in the north and being a woman you you speak when you're spoken to and you don't ask the damning questions and things like that so the freedom that was given to me here was knowing that god is not afraid of my questions and when i see something that seems like a contradiction he's a safe space to talk to to, to talk to him and he will he'll bring me people who will talk with me about these things and you know and um yeah so by faith it has it has taken its own it's taken its own form since I've moved here and um, kind of been spread out across my personal and professional life. And um, so that's what keeps me grounded. Even when I'm getting a little exhausted or feeling down, um, especially with something as, as heavy as genital cutting, I'm reminded that, that it's, it's God that brought me this far. It's the Lord that, that brought this topic to my mind because he wants people to do something for these women. So, um, it, it is my faith is my reset button when I start to get exhausted or overwhelmed by the challenges of life. Basically. Wow, that's so beautiful. I can definitely see why you're so passionate about what you do. It's just it's more than just a, a field of interest. This is your life's calling. Mm-hmm. Now I know for a fact that you moved here when you were like, I think seventeen or so. That's you're yeah. quite young. <laughs> and if I recall from our pre-podcast conversation, which was like weeks ago, was. You didn't really have any... You had somebody here, but you had to learn a lot of stuff mm-hmm. on your own. And again, a 17-year-old... I moved here in my in my 20s, right? And it was still quite a, you know, a brave thing to do because it, it took a lot to be able to thrive here. For those that might be in the boat right now in their teens coming to the U.S. and because, you know, being in Nigeria, our parents want to always give their best to their kids. What would be your? Yeah. What would you say really helped you really thrive? Because you've achieved quite a lot, and I hope you're very proud of all, all the things you've been able to do. What are some of the tips for parents and then children alike that can you know that they can who might be listening to this and how can they you know thrive in such a very difficult environment, being so young mm-hmm. and moving to a different country without with or without yeah. you know your family support? Because even if you have family, it's not like being back home. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you. That's very sweet. Um, so first of all, I would, I would totally do this again. If I could do it all over again, I would absolutely do it. Um, and just knowing the peace, the, the fact that the Lord brought me here and had planned everything out, I would absolutely do it. Um, but I guess the advice I would give is on two levels for, for kids who are coming, be okay with being alone while you navigate a new space. Like, it's um you'll make more acquaintances than you will make friends and so those acquaintances will come quickly friends don't so um because good friends take their time to make their way to you like if it's going to be long lasting and effective it's worth it taking the time to you know to get there so um just be very aware that there will be times that you're alone because people around you won't necessarily understand you as fine if they're acquaintances for, for their friends um for parents, I mean, your child is doing the bravest thing they can do for their future. So trust that you've done the work that you need to do and release them to be adults. Because um, as they grow into their adulthood, they're just new things they're going to learn. And new things they'll learn about themselves that you that will not look like your culture. And they won't look like the things that you, that you planned for them. But you need to trust and let go. Um, and trust that in in the letting go, they will always be yours. Because the tighter you hold you hold on to them, um, the more you squeeze, and the more the faster you lose them. So um, release, let go, trust trust that you've done the work, and they'll always be your kids. African mothers just live that stat. It's funny how As you really said love, the same thing that one of our uh, <laughs> podcast guests. I don't know if her episode is going to come out before or after yours. Ormita said exactly the same thing. 
about when you thinking give, just, I was thinking right, about right about <laughs> trusting them they're gonna sound differently they're gonna think differently because they're in a new world that you know they're navigating and i love how you just talked yeah. about tighter you hold on to them the more difficult it gets and I, I can imagine for parents that can be quite hard to do it's hard mm. i'm not a parent but i imagine that it is one of the hardest things to do because you you've literally you're walking around with your heart outside your body just having this child you know so that's is it is a lot it's a lot but it's in the long run the safest thing you can do because they you need to be a safe space somewhere they can come back yeah. to um and you know and still still feel at home but also they're navigating a world that you don't know yeah. so you don't really know how to guide them um you know in the day-to-day and they're surviving so much that that they probably will never share with you yep. so yeah, um, you know, just just trusting that. But yes, that is a very, di- especially coming from a young person that is not a mother, that is a difficult thing. No, but to your perspective hear. is unique because you know you came here when you were in your teens, and quite honestly, your brain isn't fully developed. You could have been easily distracted, so you do have merit to what you're saying because <laughs> yeah. you have lived the life. And we're gonna take that with Thank all you. the grains of salt in this world. Actually, who does of salt? Um, my next question <laughs> is gonna be around depression. So even though I moved here in my twenties. There were moments of mm-hmm. deep depression in the U.S. because, and it was so hard to talk to people at, at home, like back home, about it. Because it's like, what are you depressed about? You're here for your PhD. You're, you know, you have this great opportunity. But I think because of the way the environment is so different from how we grew up, it was quite isolating. And I'm not introverted yeah. by any, you know, standards. I guess my question for mm-hmm. you would be: What advice would you give? Um, what has been your experience first dealing with mental health issues, especially, mm-hmm. you know, um, navigating a new whole world when you were quite younger? And what role again has your faith played, or even other resources that you use to rise above those issues? Yeah. So unfortunately, my experience with depression did not start when I came here. It like it was. Um, so this is something I, I've become more comfortable sharing in the last two years. Um, but I, I attempted to take my life when I was about eight, um, which is very young. And at the time, I didn't have the vocabulary to know what it was, was, was suicide. But I attempted hanging and it didn't work. And I was like, well, I can't even get that right. You know, like went ahead with my day. Um, but it was that feeling of, of uh, not being enough, like not um, not making my parents proud. All, all It was um perceived pressure <laughs> that wasn't necessarily um real you know like my parents absolutely loved me they there was some pressure i'm the oldest child so um there was some perceived pressure things i felt like i should be carrying that that they weren't expecting me to carry but um there also isn't a culture it is starting to come up now but back then the 90s in nigeria there was no culture of talking about your feelings or the pressure that you feel like you're experiencing from your family because also they are victims of their own experiences and they've carried a lot too. So um, just the stigma around that didn't allow me to grow to fully understand the weight of what I almost did at age eight, which that was even, that was pre-puberty. So I, I every time I tried to wow. explain it in my head, I'm like, that wasn't hormones. No. That wasn't, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't puberty, but that, and that was messed up. But um seeing where I am now and knowing what I know, um, I am so thankful that that attempt was unsuccessful and that I can actually talk about it. Um, you know, and just, and talk about the fact that it's, that there, if I could experience that, there are many, many, many more Nigerians, um, that are experiencing it and stifling it. So my advice, um, yeah, my advice, you are not alone. You are absolutely not alone. And, uh, part of that, part of the reason that we, that it continues is there's shame in it but shame is the weapon that is supposed to keep you from from talking about this experience right um so one acknowledging that you're not alone and um and breaking like choosing to break that stigma and seeking help because the moment you start to talk about it and the moment you start to seek help you realize that there are many more who have experienced it um you find more sympathy you find a community of people and then also get professional help um one of the things that I am learning a lot is God gave us minds to interact with him while we interact with our environment. Um, so with a broken world, we need to care for our minds with as much intensity as we care for other organs. Like you would go to a cardiologist if you had heart palpitations or a urologist if you had kidney stones. Why isn't, as, why isn't it as natural to go to a therapist if your brain is broken? <laughs> you know. Um, so just kind of approaching every body part with that um, with that intensity 
because God wills it. He has provided those resources for us to use our free will to, you know, to look for in 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 a broken world. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. It does. It does. I mean, and I I was kind of a little bit. I didn't see that coming about the hanging at eight, and I want to appreciate just your vulnerability in sharing that. I imagine it's not something you, you yeah. know, talk about a lot, but thank you, thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, I'm becoming yeah. a little more comfortable because I'm, I'm. I have to take my own advice, right? I have to. I'm completely fine i'm absolutely fine that it was a one-time attempt and other thoughts have not been as intense as that one but if i'm telling people to talk about it and seek help then i have to be better about talking about my experience right yeah well even then i, I mean yeah I, I i hear that but i think it's also worth just acknowledging that it is not easy to do and and we do not take it for granted that you are um that you're you're you're, you're willing to share that with us and with Thank you. That's great. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've, you've said, wow, you've, you've dropped a lot of bombs today. First of all, I, I have to say that. Um, <laughs> I agree. The good kind of bombs. We want this kind of bomb. This kind of bombs yeah, we want. See, I, keep saying, yeah. I, keep saying, I keep using these words that can have double meanings, don't I? Um, <laughs> but like, no, I mean, like, you, you've, you've, you've dropped, you've said, you've said some really sort of, you know, um, powerful things. I, I love what you said earlier about good friends take their time to make their way to you. Um, but then just now, you know, when you were talking about the whole, you know, your, your whole experience with mental health and, and I, I'm sure you're aware of this by now, but like the fact that immigration and moving countries is a massive, massive, massive um, factor that affects people's mental health negatively. Um, the isolation, yeah. um, um there's even stuff like something as severe as schizophrenia is higher in people who have moved countries you know so you then get to things like depression and all of that even income inequality because they're moving usually from a place that is developing to a place that is developed something something we don't often think about is sometimes people are even moving from a higher social status where they are to a lower social status when they move to Do you know what I mean? Like in the developing mm-hmm. country, there were still higher social status. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then yeah. you come here and you're lower social status. Do you um, know who I am? <laughs> and and you're lower social status people that would have been lower social status to you where you were from. <laughs> this life is not balanced. You know what I mean? That's literally like sometimes when I go back home, I'm like, why am I going back to the US? Like, I'm a qu- I'm, I'm a Nigerian <laughs> princess here, for real, for real. <laughs> Literally, like, why? Why? Like, you become a, a black person. That's all you are. You're black. <laughs> yeah, you I are. mean, like, yeah. I know someone. I know someone who you know came here, like, had a driver, had domestic staff, and everything. And like, you come mm-hmm. to the UK, you're doing everything yourself. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, yeah, yeah. living that life. You know, and it's, it's, yeah. So there's so many factors, and of course, but I think the major one is isolation. And the the you know the fact that people here find it isolating. Then imagine for us coming from communal people that grow up here are finding it isolating and and there's a lot of loneliness. How much mm-hmm. more? You know, exactly. for those of us coming from places where your community is something to take for granted. You'll be missing that your neighbor that's always into your business. You're like I would kill to have like a neighbor. neighbor. Exactly. I would kill to have that kind of neighbor right now. Like, can I just see my neighbor and let them ask me have have I eaten or how am I doing today? Yeah, right. exactly. So it's yeah, it's it's a massive it's a massive thing, and and obviously, um, you know, that's what you went through. So thank you so much for um, for sharing. Just yeah, and 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 and, and yeah, I, I think we would like if you don't have to answer this now, but we'd like to have you back and talk a bit more in depth about you know just that whole aspect of like the mental health aspect of things. But we need to talk. As I mean, about the the main sort of issue that we sort of you know have on the table that we've been dancing yes, around it gets a little heavier, bit. Guys. Um, it gets heavier, guys. But but it, it is it is related to mental health anyway. At the end mm-hmm. of the day, isn't it? Um, yeah. And and I guess maybe maybe let's start with what what drives what 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 got you interested in um, FGC. Um, mm-hmm. And which I think is the preferred name, right? Isumi Genital Cutting. 
um, and not mutilation. I'm not sure. It I, know, I know there's been, I know there's been like technology considerations around it. So maybe yeah. we mm-hmm. can talk about that later. But I think let's all start with the technological, the technical stuff. <laughs> and let's start yes. with the sort of just the, how did you get, um, how did it become something that became so much on your radar? Um, and if there's a story around it that you can share, um, because yeah. it's also a sensitive story. Um, so as much as you're able to share and feel confident mm-hmm. to share, please. Absolutely. So um, when I was, uh, when I was, this is before age 10, I remember having a friend who um, during, we were in different classes, so same year, but different classes. So we'd only meet during break time in primary school. And so the playground was kind of our common ground to just talk about stuff, right? And so the playground, while other people are figuring out when their turn is on the swing or the merry-go-round, um, we were talking about heavier things, like how she had just started her period and that meant she was going to get married. Um, she was about, basically, she was about to be a child bride. You know, obviously, we didn't have all that terminology at that age, but we knew this is not something that she wanted. And coming from the family I came from, where both of my parents are Christian, both are educated, they both went to grad school. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't a topic of conversation at home. So like I knew this was wrong. I knew something off about it. Um, so I remember going home and telling my parents, like, look, we have to save this girl. Oh, the simplicity of childhood. <laughs> she has to come live with us. Yeah, and I'm thinking this is you know straightforward. She escapes home. She comes live with us. She lives with us. She grows up like my sister. Period. Yeah, my parents are no like no pun intended. Period. Right. I'm so horrible. Period. period. I'm so horrible. No, exactly. <laughs> Take the mic from me. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I love a good pun. Um, but, you know, my, my parents, I remember talking to my mom, actually, and, and she was like, no, we can't do that. I'm like, what do you mean? I remember thinking my parents were awful people. Like, how do you how do you not let this girl escape and come live with us? You know, and and then that's kind of when I started to learn about what Sharia law was and how it is normal for an adult man with multiple wives to pick up another wife and marry her. And um she was basically her family's property. She was not like she had a duty to her family and that had nothing to do with her opinions, her desires, her rights, um, just as a human being. And that kind of, I didn't realize at the time what I was doing was advocacy, like asking questions like, um, where is this girl coming from? Are her parents wealthy? Are they educated? The social determinants of health, so the things around her in her social environment that affect her health. Um, and so that together with advocacy is kind of stuck with me as I grew and I realized how much of an untold story that is. There are people in Nigeria who have never met a child bride, who will never meet one because it's so big and the tribes and the regions are different. But even moving here and realizing even how much more of an untold story that was. Um, and so it just, as I started to look more for the untold stories, I realized there was female genital cutting, which... Um, is prevalent in Nigeria as well. Like I, I didn't realize growing up that there were girls around me who had experienced it. But even in, um, and it's not just an African thing, it's Middle Eastern, it's Asian, there's a presence here in the U.S., which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit. Um, and so what was driving me to kind of go more specific was one, this advocacy for women who are forgotten and then narrowing it down to the untold stories is we have things like human trafficking. We know that's bad. Child brides, we know that's bad. There are people doing work in it. But um, FG, female genital cutting, FGC, FGM, um, it's it's even more niche. There's even less people talking about it. And so that's that's what's driven me to get there. Um, we can just talk about the terminology now, actually, if you want. Yeah, please. But also, I'd, I'd, I'd like to hear more about the bit where you talked about the U.S. aspect of it as well yes. Let, yeah yes. let's hear about the terminology <laughs> but wait before you answer well, I, I think yeah. I'm, i I might be right about this is that when people say fgc it's a way to kind of get away with the word mutilation right because we talked about that nicking and all that but let me know what you think let's know what you think yeah. so it depends so there are people women who have experienced this who believe that it is a right an appropriate rite of passage and so if you're trying to serve them and you're trying to like address something that's that is an effect of this experience of that gentle cutting you can't insult their tradition and expect them to be open mm. for yeah. to the help that you that you have to offer so um in some spaces if you want them to feel safe and to actually communicate with you you refer to it as cutting as opposed to mutilation mutilation is 
it's more for that wow factor, right? Because it is not, um, it is mutilation. It is, it is um, a, a violence against against the female body. So um, it is right to say that it's mutilation. So in certain spaces, when you want to draw attention to how violent and intrusive the process is, mutilation is the appropriate term. So you'd say FGM. So in some paper, most of my papers, I write FGM because I know what my target audience is. But in a conversation where I'm talking to someone who, um, who, I, who I want to provide care for, um, I'd rather say cutting. So FGC, FGM. What I don't say though is female circumcision because it's not the same mm. thing. It, it, um, it, it's a, it's a, it kind of assumes it's a false equivalence. It equates. Yes, thank you. That's the word. It equates it to male circumcision. With male circumcision, you're just taking off the prepuce or the hood. Um, the penis still works the same way. In fact, there's there's studies to show it's that healthier, yeah. you have reduced rates of HIV or you know like. Um, it could actually be healthier for the male when you cut off the the penis. With female genital cutting, there's absolutely no health benefits at all. So the equivalent of it with uh, the actual process, the equivalent version of it in the male would be cutting the penis off completely and maybe leaving the, the balls. Um, the balls, maybe. Even then, maybe nicking it a little. The bit world will end if men had to go through that. They will abolish everything. <laughs> Even female genital mutilation will be abolished. Because they don't play with that yes. area, you know that. And yeah. I work in prostate cancer, so I know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, but that, that is yeah. that is helpful. The like terminologies, just yeah. Understanding the thinking behind when you choose to use yeah. which term. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and then you said something earlier about the fact that, you know, this is not just something that... Because when people hear f- things like FGC and FGM, they think about it like, oh, it's, it's those barbaric poor countries. Yeah. countries. Oh, mm-hmm. we feel so sorry for them. Oh, yeah. you know, the poor masses. Um, but apparently, this is also happening in, in, in places like the US. Um, so tell us a bit and more the about UK. that. Yeah, so in the UK. <laughs> so I have and more stats yeah. for the US. But in the US in the 1930s and 40s, the face of FGM was actually Caucasian and African American. Um, and what what happened was the so even earlier than that, people like Marion J. Sims, who is considered the father of modern gynecology. There's we can do a whole other yeah. episode. That guy's a hot mess. Yeah. We need to yeah. throw him away. Like the atrocity. Yeah, I need to. We need if someone needs to right, cancel exactly. that man. Sorry, I, sorry, I mean, yeah. Look, I don't cancel people, but I've yeah. canceled him. Oh no, no, no! I totally, I totally, yeah. no, I totally know what you're talking about, and I'm aware of some of the uh, some gynecologists. The, the, the terrible history around him. Right, but so people like him advocated for things for FGM as a cure to things like nymphomania, lesbianism, and masturbation, basically preserving femininity. Right, and then a few years later, you have people like Sigmund Freud, um, who's the father of presenting their version of femininity. They are exactly their version of femininity, which we know back then it was a very one line like, this is exactly what femininity is. Period. Um, I also realizing I say period a lot. Um, some years later, you have um, (laughs) you have have Sigmund Freud, the father of Freudian thought, who thank goodness a lot of his um his thoughts have been debunked or his you know, his practice have been debunked but he also was one of the people that really advocated for genital cutting as a cure to these quote-unquote you know the masturbation the nymphomania lesbianism we need to take care of all of it by doing uh, doing some mutilation to genitals maybe nicking the clitoris a little bit or shaving Give it, me a moment while I um, whatever form it is that they had at times so even the american college of gynecology and obstetrics agreed with that practice um so it actually didn't become illegal in the united states until 1996 that was yesterday side note in canada it was 97 (laughs) so maybe maybe nigeria is probably gonna be 2059 (laughs) god help us yes so which is absolutely insane all of us on this call we're alive in 96 when it became illegal in the United States. So I'm going to need time to recover from this information. Of genital cutting wow. was different. Today it is immigrants. So people who have moved for, moved to the U.S. or to these Western countries from places where it's still legal, or even if it's illegal, it's still celebrated as a cultural rite of passage, you know, and like a sign of marriageability. 
Um, but yes, there, there have there are still cases today in the U.S. In fact, about a little over half a million women in the U.S. right now are still at risk of experiencing this. Half a million, five hundred thousand, over five hundred thousand. Even though, even though you say it's illegal, Jessica, I want to push back a little bit on that. Even though it's illegal, but you know it still happens a lot, and especially Absolutely. in in healthcare settings. Yeah, yes, it definitely does. So, um, I, maybe we'll talk about this later, or maybe we can talk about this now. But um, there is a different form of FGM called reinfibulation. So there are four types. I, I'll go over the four types a little later, but. With reinfibulation, you're basically redoing a procedure. So if a woman uh, experiences it, so she's been cut and stitched and you know completely closed, and she gives birth, she inevitably undoes her stitches. And so in some hospitals that are that serve a lot of immigrant populations, what I'm thinking about actually is, is in Minnesota. They ask the doctors to restitch them, so to reinfibulate. Um, and so that's another way that we're seeing FGM still be present in the United States. And then you have some ethical issues there where um, the doctors may or may not know that this is illegal in the United States, but the desire is to, you know, um, respect this patient's culture, um, even though this is a new experience for them. So, yes, it is still present in the United States, sometimes in the form of reinfibulation, sometimes in the form of actually doing the cutting for young girls in clinics or even at home. So I, I, I'm I aware, um, you know, sort of just to talking about the this in the U.S., I'm aware that, um, and this is something I just learned, that um, last September there was, a, there was an incident of a judge throwing out the first um, FGM case in the country. Um, federal, federal so, case. Yes, the first federal. That we know of, federal yeah. yeah. So, uh, do you want to give us a bit of background about, you know, just, well, how do you feel, like, how do you think about what happened and how do you feel about it? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I enjoy a good name call, like name, like naming what happened. Call them out. <laughs> so this judge, Judge Bernard Frank, <laughs> let's, let's call it what it is. Um. So basically, the judge was saying, as despicable as this practice may be, and I'm just going to pick a, pick the direct quote because I've seen this so many times. Um, as despicable as this practice may be, Congress did not have the authority to pass the federal law. So at the time, uh, this is a 22 year old law at this point. Um, so yeah, so he was saying Congress did not have the authority to pass this law um, that criminalizes FGM, and it's for the states to regulate. Um, which is a giant loophole. And so he also goes on to say, federalism concerns deprive Congress of the power to enact this statute. Um, and that Congress overstepped its bounds by legislating to prohibit FGM. And it's that FGM is a local criminal criminal activity, which in keeping with longstanding tradition in our federal system of government is for the states to regulate and not Congress. So he wasn't disagreeing that there are victims in this, that this is a violation of human rights. He was saying that there, the loophole here is it's in the wrong court. Basically. So basically, um, it's pulling a pilot, so that, it sounds like. Was, Maybe a civil court, but then where else would it have gone? Because federal will help, you know, to enact it into laws and whatnot, right? So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, so as of, as of, 2022, only 40 states in the country actually have laws regarding FGM. For reference, we have and 50 states in the U.S. Minus the, you know, yes, insular ones. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. And in those 40 <laughs> states, the laws are not uniform. They're not consistent. They're, yeah. They yeah. vary. So, so in like in a couple of states, as a parent or a guardian who has your child, go out of the country back to their home country to experience this and come right back, you may not face any consequence. In some other states, you would. Or if you are if you are the person doing the cutting yourself, you might face some consequences in some states, and you won't in some others. So um, that 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 ruling was definitely a blow um, for for advocates, for people who have been working with survivors and, and looking to end this. Um, 
it's it, it was a blow, but it was not the final blow. There's still a lot of work being done. Um, the fact that we're even at 40 states is progress because there was a time when it was not the case at all. Um, but there, there are people doing good work, so I am hopeful. The, the optimist in me will win. As, as discouraged as it tends to be sometimes, it will win. Wow. Um, and I, I think sometimes it's humbling that even great countries like the U.S. might not always get it right. And I, and I dare to think that the reason why we don't really hear so much about it is, like you rightly said, the face of FGC or FGM has switched from being mm-hmm. you know, white to being more of the immigrant population. And, you know, yeah. who's going to fight for them, right? Um, I have watched a video and I couldn't watch it to the end. It was, an, it was a YouTube documentary of someone being caught and there was this pump and unnecessary um, pageantry around just the the act you could see the women yeah. folks coming together I hardly saw any man in the picture but it was a celebration yeah. but the only person that wasn't really laughing was the person who was going to be you know um, cut as a way and mm-hmm. so my question for you would be this given that we now know and studies have shown this you don't, you don't have to even read the um, academic literature to be able to know that this is a horrible act, especially when you mm-hmm. listen to just one victim talk about you know their experiences, especially long-term implications. Why do you think it's driven by women? Even though at the end of the day, the reason, the only reason I've been mm-hmm. able to hear about FGM is you're trying to curb you know sexual promiscuity, which again goes back to the patriarchy. It's about diminishing the pleasure and order of a woman to be able to play. Why do you think women are so are the ones really driving this? Because I think this act would have been you know um, barred a long time ago if women stopped actually you know um, partaking in it. That's a great question. Um, so I think about it, one, who are you doing it for, right? So um, in a lot of societies, so let, let's uh, let's pick, pick Sudan, for instance, um, the idea of marriageability is extremely important. So I, I, as a Nigerian, I'm fully aware of that. We have only daughters in my family, and we have constantly heard how important it is for us to be marriageable, <laughs> you know? Doing the cooking, like the clean, you must learn how to do these things. Otherwise, some, nobody will marry you. Um, which is a whole other conversation. But that idea of marriageability, uh, FGM is a big part of that. And so, for a mother who wants to make her daughter, um, who, wants, who wants her daughter to be the best possible version of herself, and like the mother has grown up in this tradition where this is one of those things. And well, women are strong anyway, so we can do it. You, I experienced it. Your grandmother experienced it. You'll be marriageable. You will not bring shame to our family. There's that, right? Um, that's one part of it. There are some cultures where they genuinely believe um, that this is healthier for the female child. And that's where illiteracy comes in. And, you know, education will show that it definitely isn't. It is actually much worse. Um so, so you have marriageability, you have health, you have people just trying to go along with tradition. And so that's where the uh, the conversation of medicalized FGM comes in. So mothers would take their children to doctors, believing that the doctors will not want to cause any harm, so they'll find a safer way to do this for their child. So unfortunately, it a lot of the pressure is put on women to make their daughters into, you know, the, the perfect specimen to show, like, you are... Um, my value in this society has been, um, what's that word I'm looking for? Has been established because it's I've done price, my job. Yeah. To get There's a price set on it. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. And so, um, however, I will say in some parts of the world, so actually in, in Yoruba culture in Nigeria, the people who, who, um, who practice FGM, it's both the mother and father. And most of the time it is, it is the father that makes that decision and the mother goes ahead with it. So um, it's not while a lot of the pressure has been placed on the mother in many societies, the father is the one that decides that this is what they're, what the daughter will experience and his word is law. Hmm. I mean, I think this is also a good segue into our next question about survivor story. And by the way, Jessica, I want to thank you so much for speaking to that, my friend. And um, mm-hmm. she 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 still keeps talking about how you've really helped her to be able to talk about and share some things because um, she it was her dad's side of the family that 
actually um, give the mandate and her mom just affected what was put into place. And again, I think it still goes back to it being Patrick um, led. So let's talk about a survival yeah. story. Um, I, I, cause again, a part of me still goes like, why they still keep, why did, why they keep, keep still doing this thing at the expense of people who they're still living with this. If you don't, you don't, you will hardly die from it, right? Mortality rates are low, but mm-hmm. but then thinking about the complications, the long term complications. Am I gonna give examples, like real life examples? Because that friend of ours, she sent me a voice note and she listed some of the things she's still struggling with. I guess um, my yeah. question would be, which of a survivor story has stuck with you that you say you'd like to share? Maybe for those that might be on the fence about this issue, thinking we don't have an idea what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the one that sticks with me the most is a young girl from from East Africa. Um, I believe it was either Ethiopia or Djibouti, but one of those two because they're so close to each other. Um, so she experienced it as a child. Um, I think she was. I think she actually remembered the experience. I don't remember that part, but the part of the story that stuck with me is she had a backlog of blood, menstrual blood. Um, because of complications with FGM. And so her abdomen was swelling oh. over time. Now, what what was a taboo in her community oh. at the time was getting pregnant out of wedlock. Oh, no. So she left home, seemingly a virgin to her family, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden her abdomen is swelling and she looks pregnant. pregnant. Um, and so, you know, obviously the whole the family is feeling ashamed of her and you know it's a whole thing there's she's about to be ostracized from the family and they're like well let's go to the hospital and just might as well get the um like the actual like uh result from the doctor that you are pregnant it turns out she wasn't pregnant it was a backlog of menstrual blood in her abdomen um that of all the stories that one has stuck with me the most because there there are many complications that come in fgm with I'll gladly share them in a little bit, but um, I don't know. That one was just really heavy because she was about to be ostracized from her family, family and from her society, and there's no no one was going to believe her, like, to believe that she hadn't slept with anyone yet, and she definitely was not pregnant, but her body was betraying her, <laughs> basically, um, and showing showing something else, which had its own truth her body was 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 showing that like look i am traumatized from this fgm experience um and so her her voice didn't matter her advocating for herself didn't go anywhere with her family and if they didn't test for pregnancy that she would have been ostracized so she was basically caught oh, between being, like she was damned if she did and damned if she didn't basically Exactly. I was going to say double victimization. You guys did this to her, exactly. and then the blowback was you were about ostracizing her. She's even lucky you could have beheaded her in some communities for bringing shame exactly. to the family name. Exactly. Right. So, uh, if if I suppose if someone wants to learn more, um, where can they go? If someone wants to learn more, mm-hmm. or if they know someone or want help for themselves, where can they go? I suppose your answers will probably be US-based, but if you have anything for international um, listeners as well. Yes, I do. So um, so I'm part of a network called the US and FGM Network, um, but it's actually, it's beyond the US. They A lot of the members are uh, from organizations in Kenya, in Nigeria, and some African countries, some Middle Eastern countries as well. Um, people who are doing good work in advocating for survivors, advocating for women who are um, looking for asylum um, from their in new countries because they're running away from this experience. So literally, if you Google US and FGM network and look at their list of members, you'll find members that are from different parts of the world. What's the word? So uh, actually, do, a little do, more on oh, that, actually. So yeah, for the... I'm sorry for the so for the U.S. end, it's it's a kind of a a collaborative group of 150 survivors, um, civil society organizations, foundations, activists, policymakers, researchers, healthcare providers, people that are committed to ending the process. So if you're looking for clinical care, or you're looking for academic level work, or you're looking for um, legal work, whatever it is, whatever aspect of FGM advocacy you're looking for, you'll find it through that network. And 
I, I, I'm just really proud to be a member of there. I'm a very small part, <laughs> um, but so I'm, I'm, more, I'm an individual member, but there are agencies that are members. <laughs> is there, um, I'm, I'm sure there's a website. I was going to, I was going to ask you a silly question. Is there a website, which I'm not going to ask because there is one clearly. Um, <laughs> I have not asked it. <laughs> so what's, what's the website? Yes. Um, so I can put it in the show notes as well. Um, yeah, so the website, I just, um, I usually tell people just Google okay, US cool. and FGM right. we'll, we'll find it and then the first the show link notes. pops up is the website. Um, and then you can find each other for yes, your country you, just, Great. Okay. there as well, yeah? Cool. Thank you yes. so much. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. I suppose just, you know, so, so we don't end on this note, um, um, you know, <laughs> um, because obviously it is a very important thing, um, but um, I suppose... What, what would you what would you say to someone who um, has had or undergone FGM or knows someone that's undergoing FGM and either wants is is struggling with it the trauma of it or is feeling at a loss to help the person that they know that's struggling with it what would you say to those two that's two different people obviously that I've described um, what would you say to each of them so if you have experienced it, um, your story is worth telling. Whether you remember experiencing it or not, your story is absolutely worth telling. Um, one of my favorite um, organizations that does work with storytelling and survivors, survivors is called Sahio. They are one of the networks, or they're under the network that I mentioned earlier, and they focus on storytelling and empowering the survivor to like to take control of that experience, but also know that there's so much more than that. Um, so one, you are not alone, but also your story is phenomenal. You are a survivor. You literally lived through a traumatic experience that people have died from, and. And so we want to hear your story. We want you to write it down. We want you to talk with people. There is help for you available. I'm spending the rest of my life working on the help that that um, that you will need. Uh, but also there is there is medical help, but there's also social help. Um, and you know through the network you can find that help too. But you can also always reach out to me. Um, and so for, and for the person who knows someone that's struggling with it, um, one make sure you know the cultural implications of that practice. So where is this person that you, this friend, this person who is in your life, where are they from? What does it mean that they've experienced this or they're they're about to experience it? Um, What are the implications if they don't experience it? What are ways that you can support them, whether it's just by listening or being a part of asylum seeking for them, Um, but make sure that you fully understand their story and understand where they're coming from before you start suggesting, especially if you are maybe living in a, in a privileged space. If you're living in the West, um, before you throw your, the, you know, don't jump in and be a savior. Exactly. Exactly. White Barbie. Yeah. Yeah, Don't be be a white Barbie. Just listen and understand to Uh, comprehend. Exactly. Exactly. Like make sure you fully as much as you can within your capacity, understand the implications of their experience before you start to give to tell them what you think they're supposed to do um and if they eventually go through with it make sure you are just there to be a listening ear and to find the help that they need because when it comes to their mental health their physical health they're going to need help outside of their family and outside of their community so just be there as that person wow i love what you said about just the thank you so much with the cultural context i love what you talked about the cultural context and even as a Nigerian, there's some cultural context I wouldn't understand. So don't take it for like a face value, like, oh, because that person's Nigerian. No, really make sure you understand the local context before diving in. And I think it would be nice to wrap up this session by just, you know, sharing a survival story. Because three of us in this conversation, especially you, Jessica, you're very passionate about this topic, but we don't have any firsthand experience. And for me, mm-hmm. in talking to my friend who I introduced you to, and she's not even yet able to totally put into words what she experienced. So background story to the listeners would be, she was in her 20s just hanging out with a bunch of friends who were guys and, you know, and they asked about her sexual experience and she goes, no, never had sex. And they're like, how can you never know I've had sex? And she's like, no, I just, you know, and they're like, are you sure you're normal? Hope you were not circumcised. And she kind of chuckled like circumcised. That's a barbaric act. Like, you know, that could have happened to me. Well, she 
homegirl went home to ask her mom and her mom said yes that she was circumcised and it was a tradition of her people of her father's people and so fast forward many years down the line she eventually gets married now take note that she never had sex before marriage and that's a very important distinction to make because i'm going to explain why i'm putting this um delineation in the conversation she got married um sex was very painful for her and even as of today at the time of this recording according to her no matter how much her husband tries to like get the the foreplay and everything going it's never quite you know as enjoyable sometimes she cries through it and this is imagine a virgin who saved herself you know that can be a thing of pride right and then you find that it's, it's, it's not enjoyable now along that conversation having to go through all of that she i don't know what made her go test she just went to the hospital one day and they found out that she had pre-cervical cancer what she would call sin 2 which is um uh, what's the word cervical intraepithelial neoplasia this is like caused by hpv and it might lead to cancer she has sin 2 the second version which re- refers to abnormal cells affecting a larger portion about one third to two thirds of her of the epithelium which is like a lining around her cervix and that can lead to cancer and the doctors could only link it to that particular event so the working assumption is that whatever instrument they used in cutting her infected her so she's been having she's had this infection for the longest time and if she hadn't gone to screen and all that she could have died from a very aggressive form of cervical cancer and so I think the best way to kind of end this is to talk about some of the, I guess, long-term implications, right? Because yeah. they see it as cutting, leaking, whatever you want to call it. People have to live through these stories, right? And I think sometimes the wires get crossed. You don't really talk about just what people have to live through. So I guess maybe just walking us into this conversation about long-term complications and I think linking it to how best we can survive, we can support those who are, you know, survivors. Yeah. So um, it would be helpful to understand the long and short term implications if if I just kind of briefly walk through the types. Um, so because each one is different from the other. So the type one or first type is what we call a clitoridectomy. Some people call it circumcision, specifically type one. That's a partial or total removal of the clitoris. Right. So the clitoris itself is actually pretty big. It goes right into the um into the pelvis but the smallest part of it which is what we see on the outside has been cut off um or shaved and that has implications for neurobiology type 2 is called excision so that's when um the clitoris and part of the labia minora so of the flesh on the inside part are completely cut off and then type 3 is infibulation so that's when you do type 1 and type 2 and then you sew up type uh, you sew up the the outer skin and completely cover the urethra. And then you only have a little part of the the vaginal canal open. For those of you who might not know, there are three openings on the bottom, the base of the female body. So the urethra, the vagina, and the anus. And so in type three, you're covering the urethra completely. And then you have the vaginal canal only a, a little bit open. So when we think about long and short-term implications, they differ across the experiences, whether you experience type one, type two, or type three. There's also a type four, but that that just uh, covers everything from burning to stabbing to everything that doesn't fall under the other three. So with short term, um, also if you can't watch, if you can't see this, Mo's jaw is on the floor because um, it is it is a lot. Sorry, it yeah, is, it is I, a lot. yeah, my mouth is wow. open because it's just like I don't know. <laughs> right. So with 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 short term. Right. So with short-term complications, we're looking at shock, right? So um, shock, excessive pain, excessive bleeding, sepsis. So that's when infection sets in and and then the the body starts to destroy the tissues in response to um, to that infection. Um, There's complications with wound healing or genital tissue swelling, right? So those are just a few short-term consequences. Long-term, we have something called vaginismus, which is muscle spasms that happen in the vaginal canal that can make sex very painful. Even if it's consensual and you're there and you're fully, you're fully present, um, the, your body still betrays you. There's PTSD because it's a traumatic experience. There's mistrust of family because in a lot of spaces, it's your family that leads you into this. It's the women holding you down 
and most of the time there's no anesthesia involved so the women in your family that you love and trust who you know love you are holding you down to experience this so mistrust um numbness in the vaginal area um, memory loss has been reported um, scarring and keloid formation menstrual difficulties like in the story i mentioned earlier urinary symptoms um and infertility has happened too so those are some some of the some of the things that have been recorded as long as short-term um, consequences. Now, actually connecting them to e- each type that's a little hard to do. I'm yet to find, um, but you know which which long and short-term consequences are most likely connected to each type. So we just kind of group them all as long and short-term consequences of experiencing FGM. Thank you, Jessica. Like uh, this is it's just it's so heavy and and but i'm glad that with your work we can yeah. at least address some of the cultural context and create more awareness yeah. and maybe change the narrative and also i think the voices of the survivors because i think that's perhaps the most powerful source of change if we're to do away with this yeah. and i and i imagine that it's hard for them to come out and talk about it because it's, it's a lot yes. to deal with you know it's yeah. a lot it's a lot and you're asking them to rehash to... yeah to betray cultural and family traditions, you know, it, it is a lot. And to expose this very private experience that they're dealing with, it is yeah. a lot. And I absolutely just applaud the women that have been brave enough to come out and tell their it. stories or even write their yeah. stories. Yeah. I even imagine women who are currently going through a lot of these issues and didn't know, they can't even link it to circumcision because nobody ever told them. So they blame themselves for not, you know, wanting to have sex with their husband because it's so painful or not really enjoying sex or so many things they're going through. Because exactly. your body always keeps and a score. Your body will always remember, even if you don't remember. You're familiar with the book. I love huh? the book. Yeah. The it's book. my one of my Sorry. Bibles. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So imagine women who. Who experience that but live in the United States and don't have medical professionals who have an understanding of cultural awareness of mm-hmm. that you know the cultural awareness so it makes it so much more difficult that you can't talk about it with your family because there's no acknowledgement there of how wrong this is but also your medical care team cannot help you make those connections because they just don't know about it and they don't, they don't know the science behind it and that's where my yeah. work comes in I mean, so true what you mentioned. Because my friend said when she even confronted her parents about it, her dad was like, of course, he achieved that purpose. See, you you were a virgin until marriage. It's like, duh. Like, is that all that, you know? Like, is this all? This is what I was wanting, you guys. But yeah, the layers, the the problem is so multi-layered. But again, I'm hopeful that with the safe space you're providing, because your work, apart from just exploring the cultural issues, you're also developing, you know, kids to... (laughs) address some of psychological issues for survivors which i'm really really very hopeful about and i cannot wait to have you in class because guess what i'm actually inviting jessica to be one of my guest lecturers in my public health class so i uh, cannot wait to, for you to blow the minds of my this is gonna be like a double cultural shock i cannot wait to see the evaluation of me at the end of the year i hope i don't distress a lot of their you know tender sensibilities but anyways um jessica this was really good and we have to have you back on the show thank you maybe yes, as a live yes. event and because you have so much wisdom really so much wisdom um what maybe you really didn't know but as you were talking myself and i, I mean they were just taking notes you know sending it to one another like you, you're so wise and, and so passionate. And so, yeah, we thank you so much for sparing today. And I thank know we're going to have you back. It's a matter of when. <laughs> thank you. That means a lot so much to me. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank thank you. So you. Thank you so much. <laughs> excited that you guys have this space for to just explore a wide range of topics i've seen some i've listened to some of the other topics you talk about i was like wow none of this is even close to fgm this is like completely different so i love love that there's this space for a wide range of oh topics. thank you so thank the you. podcast and again i mean it's glad that we're doing this together because i mean there was one of the people who helped get um, the podcast started and i think mm-hmm. you can get away with just because the confusion comes when you have so many interests and you don't know how to like define it. So when you yes. talk about culture, you know, you can fit anything underneath it. So yeah. we're glad to have you. And, and thanks for <laughs> bursting our bubble because 
this is a topic that I know will resonate with so many of our listeners and especially the survivors, which I know a couple of them who listen to the show. That's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah, please have them reach out to me if they just want someone to talk to, if they're looking for resources. Yes. Just, Speaking of yeah. which, how, can they, how can they reach out to you? Yes. 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 Oh, that's a good question. So, yes. uh, I so Mo actually made me get a Twitter. She doesn't even realize this, but that when we talked, she I was didn't like, know you know that. Like, you could have led off with that testimony time. So, uh, Jessica is not, she has a very minimal <laughs> social carbon footprint. I don't know how I to do it. LinkedIn, I was living under a rock and very happy under that rock. But I was, I was also realizing, like, if you're going to connect with people, you maybe need to have at least one other one besides LinkedIn. And you went so on the angriest place on the universe, on the matter of fact. I mean, they don't come for me. I mean, I still think I'm wrong when I think about Twitter as an, it's a very angry place. Maybe now that oh Elon goodness. Musk has, you know, he can people bring back all clothes. <laughs> Also, I, I'm not even following this man. I mean, why are there judgment. so many Elon Musk tweets? Like, it's always oh, he the just first bought, thing he just, he just bought Twitter. That's why. $44 billion. Right. Well, anyway, yeah. That's, yeah. Whole, that's, that's why I got to come back. Cause yeah. we're Good. So what's your handle on Twitter? <laughs> and then maybe like an email address people can reach you out on just yeah, in case they're so on Twitter. Can, uh, on Twitter, I am at Jesse Puri. Jesse with a Y. Okay. Um, Jesse Puri. So P-U-R-I. Mm. Uh, uh, you can always DM me and I'm always happy to talk. You can find my email will be jessica.puri at northwestern.edu. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jessica. Um, thank you for sharing your time, your wisdom, your laughter, your sense of humor, your truth bombs, and your many uses of the word period. <laughs> I know. So She's bad. allowed. So, so um, I know I have to say, like, one of my girlfriends was like, Jess, I'm going to show you how often you say period. And she typed the certain word period in the search in our text. And it came up. <laughs> I think I mean, y'all will be, y'all, y'all will be cultural, like cult or culture. <laughs> I want that one my Wait, word. I mean, oh. you and I, I mean, if you talk about cults a lot, you and I can, like, we can go on for a while. So we can oh. connect this. We, we, have a, there, we, have a, we have a cult episode that you might want to listen to. And you should listen to that. Might, oh, I, I, got almost, I, I got almost um, grafted into a Korean cult. What? Oh I left God, Nigeria God. and I almost got into the Korean version. See my <laughs> life. Oh, I know, yeah. I know. I'll was, I was you, I send you the link, you know. It's, so he, he yes, bringing please. his experience as a psychiatrist, he kind of talks about how we, we think that people that go into cult are foolish people. He talks about the circumstances that make you break down to like be part of cult. And I really like that episode as well. Oh, and guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyways, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for coming. Okay, thank I'm you let for y'all go. Talking. I know. For uh, sharing. And see you again sometime soon. Yes, yes. Right. Please come Take back care. again. We're going to reach out to you. We really need to do maybe a live show on the like suicide and depression in pre pre how do you say that word thank you that's my no one i can't be perfect those are the words that make me stumble yeah those kind of words like with in kids and how to build support you know thank you so much jessica all right take care guys all right this was the show we are your medium i'll catch you guys on another episode of the most simple podcast bye for now bye